Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. I'm joined today by a colleague, Gabriella Lowe. Gabriella, how are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, a few years ago, I think it was the first one was back in 2013, I wrote an article on how to become a sports lawyer. I updated that last year um, to sort of bring it more up to speed and I thought, at this moment in time, we've got our, for those of you who don't know, Law & Sport run a, a global mentoring scheme. We've had 48 people from over 20 countries last year. We had 28 people from over 15 countries around the world this year. And on top of that, we've got Law & Sport recruitment, where we do a lot of uh, recruitment for sports organizations, for law firms. We advertise roles. We help organizations like England Boxing and other organizations in sport to find uh, committee members, commission members for their disciplinary committees. Um, we help various charities, look for trustees, and we do a whole bunch of other different things. Also, as part of law and sport that many people don't, I think, quite grasp if you're just on the peripheries of just reading our content or coming to our events, is we work with authors to help develop their ideas, their content, help them understand the market better, and help how to communicate their ideas and thoughts and you know, to, on, on focus on stuff that's really important. Anyway, with, you know, we're all essentially in some form of lockdown, <laughs> right? Some or some uh, some measures are being placed on most people around the world, right? And the tendency, I'm already seeing it, the tendency is that people who want to strive to develop their careers in the sector are trying harder than ever, it seems, or at least have a feeling of like, you know, pressure. And I think everyone's feeling, everyone I'm speaking to at the moment is feeling a lot of pressure myself included right to do more to fit more in and yet we're, we're not going to places we're not seeing as many people or we're losing that human element and it's a stressful you know you've been in this position recently right you just recently graduated from uh, UCFB yep and do you want to tell people what you graduated from uh, yes I uh, I studied uh, football business and finance and I graduated in last June yep congratulations um thank you and you know the pressure of like you know the worry and concern can i get a job after studying what the opportunity is going to be there in law um it's a really pressurized environment and particularly you know people are passionate about sport and sports law and therefore it can come much bigger an issue than it actually is in the sense that you know the opportunities are there you may not get them immediately but maybe they're at some point anyway i wrote this article i haven't looked at it since i've written it to be honest with you um uh, when I did review it, I thought, wow, that was quite good advice. <laughs> but I would say that, of course. Um, so I was going to just basically, the, the you know, read through this article, go through some of the advice and provide, I guess, some sort, sort of metadata or or some explanation around why some of the points that I've raised are in there and give some more practical examples. Hopefully that it can help people wherever you're at, whatever stage of your career, to make better decisions about what to do. And maybe we can, you know, Gabriella, you can chime in basically with any questions that you may have, but also, you know, if anything's not particularly clear. So the first point is when I wrote this, it was because I was getting inundated and still do like many people working in the profession um, who are lucky enough to be called themselves to work in the you know sports or sector or the legal sector focusing on sports related matters or working in sports organizations. You're very fortunate. And I consider myself very fortunate to be able to do so. Um, so I was getting inundated with loads of requests from people and immediately people would write to me and say, look, Hey, I'm desperate to get into a career, you know, desperate to get ahead in sports law. Please tell me what to do. Do you have any time? And the challenge is 
for people like me and other people who've been in the profession for a long time is that you probably don't have that much time and we want to help hence why we set up a mentoring scheme right so we could help people who are really busy give advice back so i thought i'd try to um both explain what the dynamics are of the market first of all and what the personalities are like so it, coming into the article i wrote back in 2013 before outlining my top tips i feel obliged to highlight something that is in my experience misunderstood that can leave prospect prospective sports lawyers feeling dismayed about their career prospects any prospective sports lawyer should be made aware that sports law is a highly competitive niche sector where employees employers can have the pick of candidates there is a minority of sports lawyers that have a client base that consists solely of sports clients. The majority of sports lawyers only act for sports clients at best 50% of the time. This is you know, excluding the, those who work in in-house roles. They are lawyers who are working for sports organizations or organizations that provide, um, you know, that are, we consider themselves to be in the sports market or related markets such as like Sky Sports or BT, or Fox Sports, etc. In my experience, this is not something that is really discussed within the sports law community. And I believe that by acknowledging this fundamental market characteristic, prospective sports lawyers will be better able to pursue their career path with a healthy regard for the challenges that they face them in the search for their dream career. Now, given that we're in you know difficult economic times, I would now say that's even why. <laughs> but of course, I would say this. Oh, well done, me. But I think it's something to really sort of contemplate for those people aspiring to be in the sector. To understand, right, that in sport, because it's such a popular sector, you know, it, it's something that, that has huge viewing figures around the world. If you're involved, if you like football, cricket, rugby, pick a sport, the Olympics, it doesn't mean there's that much work for lawyers working in the sector, particularly those who are what we call in private practice as solicitors, advocates, uh, barristers. There's not that much work. There's very few people who still do sports work 100% of the time. Now, Saying that, and this is one thing I wanted to draw out, that one of the characteristics of the sports market globally has been there has been more money coming in through media rights, right, through the sell of the viewing rights to watch the sport over uh, broadcast media, right, and now streaming as well. That's caused an influx of money, so has the money coming from the betting and the sponsorship opportunities and sports have become more professionalised. What does that mean from a legal perspective? Well, what I go on to say is that whilst you know there is more money coming in to the sector, essentially the work though is going to the people who are often the established people in the market. So what you had is, and what you do have is the big firms who have, these are the big law firms, they have offices all over the world. So for example, if you've got a multi um you know, you've got a broadcast company that, that's spread across Europe, Africa, Asia. The type of when you're trying to sell that business or list that business onto a stock market, often you're going to need to get that transaction, that point of, you know, getting the business ready to be sold and then, the you know, the agreement for purchase and or takeover, whatever it is, merger, whatever happens, it's going to require a whole team of lawyers all around the world to deal with it. So therefore that work naturally goes to the people who can do that which is, are the big international firms, which they excel at, right? Because it creates a lot of manpower that's needed to do it, or a lot of power, I should say, nowadays. But it needs to create a lot of, um, you know, people to 
work in a very short period of time to get that ready and get all the legal documents ready, do all the due diligence, everything that's required, right? Check everything's required. Those guys are doing well, right? Because there's more in like no more money in international sport. You've got the Premier League uh, clubs, you've got Champions League, you've got the NBA, the NFL, and they're all doing stuff globally, the Olympics, Paralympics, etc. Those guys are doing doing well out of out of the current environment, right? And all the stuff to do with data, etc. And then you've got the sort of smaller firms, right? Which I would call the the sort of uh, the boutique firms, where they've got specialist specialist knowledge, right? Do you, do you, do you Gabriella, what I mean by a boutique firm? Does that? Uh, no, probably best to explain on that. <laughs> I imagine. Well, my interpretation of it is just a very small law firm that deals with one specific area rather than overall. But I don't know law, Correct. so <laughs> I'm not sure. Correct. No, that's it. No, that's that's exactly what it is, right? So they've got a niche expertise. So they may, you know, be an anti-doping focus firm. They may be uh, a media rights focus firm. They may be, um, you know, that they've they've got this very specific area that they focus on, right? Those again, those guys who have had the established relationships with clients have done really well. More work, you know, the value has gone up, but there's not like exponentially more whilst there's exponentially more money in sport the number of transactions that they're involved with number of cases they're involved with haven't also exponentially risen right and one of the other market characteristics that people often forget in sports law is that lawyers can't act for everyone right as one of the you know each party requires separate legal representation now it means they can act for similar um, institutions often or, or a type of uh, client so it could be an athlete they could be athlete focused they could be you know football club focused they could be um, governing body focused right at national level at international federation level but by acting for these bodies it immediately can conflict you out of acting for others so say for example you're at for a player association in football it's highly unlikely then you're going to act for the league or for or for the or the for the uh, football association. Okay, but could right. you, if you were to represent the player association, could you still represent the player, or would that be a conflict of interest? Yeah, yeah, potentially. It depends on the it depends on the case. Okay, it depends on the matter. Well, we say case. That's implying that there is a case, but it could be in law. They call it the matter that's being worked on. So if it's a, a corporate matter that's being worked on, you're trying to set up a company for a player, right? And there's no conflict. And so law firms will go through a conflict check to make sure that they're not in any way, um, you know, uh, representing people that they shouldn't, right? Because they've got, they've got interests elsewhere um, or they're representing clients with an interest. Then, because what will happen in those cases, they'll say, I'm really sorry, we've run a conflict check internally. So we said, right, does anyone, you know, is anyone acting for someone that, that, that may have an interest in this matter? And if they are, they'll say, right, a conflict check has come up, a report's come up. I don't think we can act for you, but I'll tell you what, because of this, because we're conflicted out, let me find and make a recommendation. So the point is, one of the things is no one can act for everyone. And therefore, like in sport, you need your competitors. But inevitably means that it doesn't mean some one person can get the market share of work. It's highly unlikely, right? They can get a predominant stake of, say, anti-doping work or matrixing work or media rights. They can, you know, get the majority of, of the stuff they can get. But inevitably, there's a point in time where they just can't act for any more clients because it's conflicted out of it. Anyway. So basically what's happened is as the market in sports has grown globally, the big international firms, as you've got these massive uh, you know, international federations, the big leagues, et cetera, doing these big transactions globally or the, or the you know, I'm not sure if like last week, Genius Sport um, just got listed. 
as part of another company that requires these big outfits typically to you know do all the the work that goes along with it right and then you've got sort sort of the then you've got the mid the firms in the middle right that aren't the big firms aren't the the boutique firms and i should say though some other there's are, are other firms who had a, or an established sports practice as well right the third category those firms that uh, don't necessarily fit into one of the they're not small enough to be classed a boutique they're not big enough to be called a multinational uh, law firm but so they're more like the national law firms but they um or maybe one or two offices uh, in different countries around the world if they had an established relationship with sports clients and had established sports space, they'd done well out of it as well because they've got reputations right in the market, right? They're, they're getting more work from their clients. When I started out in sports law, and again, there's pioneers before me, like so many pioneers before me, whether it was the, the guys at the SLA in America, the British Association for Sport and Law, the um, Australian New Zealand Sports Law Association, um, you know, just go for a list. There's all these different associations around the world and academics like Mark James and and uh, Professor Jack Anderson, the Michael Belloffs, the you know, I can go for a list of people, right, who paved the way for people like us to come and do law in sport and for other lawyers. Um the um uh, the the reality is that there uh, you know as the sports market has professionalized right and we've been part of that in helping people understand the legal issues right when i first got into the like you know that's great but when i first got into the market 10 years ago when i first got into sports law properly got into sports law and launched law in sport i was working at a law firm at the same time and they would really laugh about the concept of having a a, a quote-unquote sports practice right just having a very focused sports practice or sports law practice they would say mm, really you know is there you know do we take that seriously and michael belloff refers to us in his book but it was laughed upon right it was kind of frowned upon why why is that why is it frowned upon is it because of the lack of money or yeah i think fundamentally the issue was that it wasn't a serious industry it was a pastime that's how it was considered and therefore in law it was considered that it wasn't something that that were was respectable really it was kind of a nice thing and a lot of people did work on a work or pro bono basis on a free basis and there's still a lot of that that takes place now and we've talked about some other other podcasts as well in terms of when you've got developing markets and particularly when you've got old-fashioned uh legal systems the lawyers don't really and the governments even to be fair don't understand the societal impact of sport, the benefit of sport in terms of as, as an activity, as a, something that can impact society, that can have educational benefits, well-being benefits. And therefore, because they don't really value that, they don't value the professionalization of it. They don't value the good governance structures. They don't they don't see the why they should invest in it at all, right? So from a legal perspective, if, if all the stakeholders, the other stakeholders involved in sport don't take it seriously, then why would the legal profession take it seriously? Yeah, yeah okay got you um yeah and so that's that's one of the things so they're, they're the sort of the market trends that we've seen now one of the other things to say is and i say it's all the time because and again most of the stuff that i've written in in this article and the stuff that i tell other people is not anything particularly i'm not particularly bright so it's not necessarily it's not necessarily something i've come up on my own it's from speaking to thousands of people over the years hundreds if not thousands of in-house counsel right Definitely thousands of private practice lawyers, right? Getting their input, getting their advice, getting their take on things. Now, one of the things that all the in-house counsel that I've ever met, I don't think one has ever said anything other than, I don't instruct a law firm, I instruct a lawyer. What does that mean? It means relationships matter, 
right? Even in law where it looks like, oh, this firm's always getting the work, it's because there's key persons, people within that organization or a barrister's chamber who have got a relationship and that relationship, which I'll come on to is they understand the clients. They understand the sector. They're great at their job. This is a super important part. They're great lawyers, often, not always, but the majority are great lawyers. Some people just got great relationships and they just get work. And again, as the sector professionalizes, that becomes less of a, um, uh, that type of situation happens less because there's more at stake. So you can't take the risk of just inviting a mate to do a piece of work because if you get a transaction wrong, it's got huge consequences, right? If you do a, do a dispute and you argue the wrong case or you don't file something on time, you know, and you lose an athlete, you know, you, you know, they end up getting a two year, four year suspension or they lose, you know, they, they, uh, you know, aren't able to play in a champions league or whatever it may be. They lose a sponsorship agreement, whatever it may be, the consequences are huge. And so you don't want to have to go back to someone and say, Oh, my bad. Sorry. I instructed my mate. You go, Oh, I instructed a great lawyer. And that's, you know, as a sector professionalizes again, that becomes more important. So the areas, then I go to say, basically say the areas where you're starting to see sort of increases is in dispute resolution, inevitably where there's more money, there's more disputes. As the sector gets more professionalized, the regulations get more um, specific, right? We've had all this fuss around the handball rule in football, right? This is this is one example. Um, but you've obviously seen the Man City case, um, you know, against UEFA and all these. That's a great indication of where you've got a lot at stake. Both sides, as we would say, lawyer up, <laughs> right? So they get heavyweight lawyers involved. It costs lots of money. It takes lots of time. Right. So inevitably, those people involved in those type of disputes are doing well. Still, though, there's not a huge number of them, right? Because the people who do it, and I won't go into specific names because I'm not trying to target particular firms or individuals, but, you know, on financial fair play matters, you know, people put up an expertise in that. That expertise becomes extremely valuable because they've run it through before, essentially. They've run the arguments through before, right? So you can see that that focus. Then we have... Um, you know, and then also you've got the, the commercial end or it, we've got the providers of, of sports disputes bodies, right? So arbitration bodies. So all over the world, you've got the, the AAA in America. You've got the um, Sports Dispute Resolution Center of Canada. You've got Sport Resolutions, which is, you know, most of people will have heard of as well. And the Court of Arbitration for Sport, et cetera. All, most of the people would have heard of these type of organizations. FIFA are doing a massive program to have national dispute resolution chambers, right, to reduce the amount of workload essentially just going up the funnel to FIFA. So again, there's more work for arbitrators and arbitrators are lawyers who are basically like judges, right, who are appointed in various different mechanisms to sit over and hear cases basically. But again, if you're doing that type of work, that could mean you're conflicted out of advising clients. So even that has got a limited lifeline in terms of money, right? So in terms of getting regular payments, regular work, etc right so that means as a firm then or as a business you're saying if i'm doing that where else am i getting my work and often these people are appointed not only because they've got sports expertise but because and increasingly so is because they've got expertise outside of sport and i just want to emphasize that point they've got they've got experience outside of sport they've got experience in the criminal law they've got experience in um, investigations they've got experience in uh, medical law they've got experience in competition law they've got experience in human rights they've got experience in you know all these different areas right that becomes you know more important not just specific sports law then what we're seeing is as the market basically as sport like you know one of the market forces are, are that as sport professionalizes the sports bodies 
go, hold on, we're paying loads of money. So immediately, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm very proud of the legal profession, typically, um, and particularly the, the our, our, you know, our, in the UK and in England and Wales, very proud of our profession. But typically, in globally, I think you know, most lawyers want to do a great job. Most lawyers believe in upholding rule of law and giving people access to justice. The majority do. And, and I think that's a laudable objective, right? Not saying it always happens in practice, unfortunately, but that's, you know, the, the aspiration that we, we we try and pride ourselves on, I think. Well, you know, maybe at least in my world, <laughs> I hope that people do. Um, inevitably, though, most people don't want to use a lawyer. Most people don't know how to use a lawyer, so you have to be a sophisticated purchaser of legal, legal services in order to know how to instruct a lawyer. So most, again, one of the problems in, with football and an athlete is they have a problem and they think, who do I go to? They don't know. They don't know to go to a lawyer. They don't know the different specialisms. They don't know who to contact. They don't know all these different things. That is a problem. That means they don't understand the value that lawyers can bring to them to by help them save them time, money, help them, you know, structure things correctly, the independence, ideally, uh, you know, the independence, the, 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 the ethics codes that they have to follow by their national law society or bar association. Um, so what, what from a business perspective though, and it like you know, one of the, the, the sad realities of most businesses, and as a business owner, you don't want to spend money on legal fees if you can help it. So what ends up happening is initially as the as the the, the say if this day of football is an example, Premier League clubs, they start to do well, get more money, then all of a sudden they realize that they need to have more lawyers doing the work. At some point there's a tipping point where you're for some of the transaction, some of the work, you're better off having more lawyers in-house because it's way more cost effective and beneficial to the organization to do that than it is to instruct people outside of the firm because you want to bring the expertise, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've seen is a, is a boom in, 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 in the NFL, the NBA, the Major League Baseball, in all these uh, IOC everywhere with law, an increase in lawyers in-house. So again, more lawyers work in the sector, but that's because there's more lawyers working in-house, in in in-house roles. One of the consequences of that is though, is that there's less money to spend with private practice lawyers, right? So it's great for the sports organizations, great for those opportunity for, for those who want to do that. Not always so good for the private practice law firm. So there's this tension. So there's more opportunities, but like some of the like this to say stuff that's low risk, process heavy type stuff um you know or anything they can manage internally you know particularly if they've got an expertise there are lawyers come from you know media rights specialist or something they'll manage it themselves then they'll go to outside counsel they call it going to lawyers outside to get advice on you know particularly uh employment disputes stuff that's high risk basically litigation of some sort right then one of the other issues has happened and you know we work with a whole bunch of academic institutions around the world um you know we pride ourselves on helping students i think we've got something like six thousand registered students or more registered members on law and sport on all of our accounts and we work with the likes of you know is they provide um is they de montford melbourne university melbourne law school um university of um uh of nicosia uh, and a few other institutions obviously Sorry. And of course, UCFB, that was top of my list, of course. Um, but they um, pride themselves on, on, on giving uh, their students access to sports or information. But one of the challenges is still, though, that, that getting a specialist is a bit of a double-edged sword. Getting a specialist education in sports law is a double-edged sword. Depending on when you're at in your career, it can accelerate your career. Or it can be something that means that people say you're, particularly in law, that you're focusing on too narrow down, right? You're narrowing your focus down. 
right? And you put, I'm not sure if you've seen the same in the, from the sports business end. Do you get the same type of uh, sort of feedback? Yep. Yeah, it does seem to be pretty common, doesn't it? Like if you're too niche and you're focused on one specific area, then employers think that you aren't broad enough and you can't, you don't have enough skills to cover a broad spectrum of things. And I feel so sorry for those people in the sector, whether it's, you know, like I said, given a lot of career advice to many people and, you know, dealing with some really great lawyers who are uh, partner level, or have a senior lawyers in house, and they're desperate to get into sport, and they keep trying to show their love for sport, whether it's football, cricket, wherever it is, and that's not necessarily the thing that's going to get them the job that they want, right? And in their desperation to get it, sometimes they overemphasize that rather than emphasize the quality that they're bringing, right? Or the the skills, I should say, sorry, rather than the quality, the skills that they're bringing, the experience they're bringing from being involved in a, a listed company, right? Um, uh you know it's, it's fireworks night isn't it is it tonight <laughs> i was just gonna we're gonna start getting all the pop in anyway so number like in the article and we'll link to it i've just there's a whole ton of art of of of, of links to interviews and they probably need to add some more in there of top lawyers from around the world whether it's from the mls whether it's from the major league baseball whether it's from you know you know, BT Sport, you know, Michael Beloff QC, John Taylor QC, um, you know, Demetrius from the MLS, uh, Nick Patel, uh, CEO of the London Marathon and um, Chair of Sport England, Jeff Benz, arbitrator, Matthew Reed, General Secretary of CAS, Max Duffy. Yeah, there's just a long list, even Ridgeway um, at being sport. They all say the same thing. The number one thing they all say, and it still gets overlooked, as in the most common thing that's overlooked, be a good lawyer, right? If you got if basically what they're saying is if you just got an interest in sport and you're trying to then shoehorn law into it, it's going to be a long, hard road for you, right? It's going to be a miserable road for you, right? Because there's many other jobs you could do in sport, and being a lawyer is an expensive uh, pastime to try and, you know, it is an expensive career path, right? Unless you're very fortunate to get sponsored by a law firm or barrister chambers. It costs a lot of money just to get the education, right? And at least if not, it's, if not financially, that's not a problem for you, time has taken to, to do it is really expensive right so um i can't emphasize that enough right every single every single every single one of the lawyers that we deal with globally say exactly the same thing number one be a great lawyer okay so it's 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 better to have the law aspect locked down than move on to sport rather than do it backwards well, it's like it's like good luck playing football if you can't run Right. Like, like as in, as what I mean by that is, you know, what I mean is you, it's really hard if you haven't locked down the skill set, right, to turn to, 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 you know, the stuff that you pick up when you're a little kid, right, playing or catching a ball or whatever it may be. If you don't have that basic skill set down, then trying to apply it, right, to a particular set of circumstances, you're going to struggle because someone says, oh, hold on, I think this might be a problem in competition law, right? We're trying to do a breakaway league, for example, project big picture we want to do a breakaway league and they come to you and go what do you think and you go uh yeah i think uh yeah yeah i could see i think that'll be all right on what basis do you think it's all right right oh we've got a competition law concern okay yeah jimmy i don't really know right i best get my book out right to try and work out or go into law and sport well good luck right that's gonna you know you're gonna get found out really quickly and so what people want is you to to get like you know you consider it like your legal education right being a bit like strength training, conditioning, something like that, right? It's giving you the platform for them to, to execute your skill set. That is the bit like, you know, I can't, 
the amount of lawyers that we know, and we've even recruit, we've recruited for other organisations, right? And I can't say the organisations, but sports organisations, and they've taken people who've got no sports experience whatsoever, but great lawyers that they can have confidence in, who aren't going to drop, you know, using the sporting analogy, are not going to drop the ball on a particular issue. And I, I think that globally, this is the most overlooked point because you've got to ask yourself the question: If you don't like the law, well, do you want to become a sports agent? If you want to become a sports agent, join a sports agency right? Get some other skills doing something else. If you want to get into management, go into management, right? Like, like work on a career path to get there. Not saying you could, if you have, have got enough interest in law and you're not quite sure and you think, oh, I love, I think law is interesting and I think sport's interesting, then great. Do it then if it's, if you've generally got that curiosity. But if you're doing it as a particular strategic move, I think it's a very costly and expensive move to do. And it can, and we've dealt with a lot of dissatisfied people, right? Who have, you know, essentially got through law, didn't really enjoy it, get into sports law because they think it's more interesting and they do enjoy that. But then they're still trying to pursue a career in law when really that's not what they want, right? They want to work with players. They want to do some other, some other stuff. But the law is like way down the list of things that they'd like to do. Again, that comes through in every conversation that you have, how you appear at conferences, when you meet people, how you speak to people on uh, social media, on messaging and stuff like that. And it's a competitive market. So you're competing against those people who really enjoy law, really like it. And they've got the, the you know, they, they, they've been working on their skill set, honing their skill set, and they've got a genuine passion and interest for sport. Right. And it's that and, it's not an or. Um, so next up then was networking. Now, this is really, I'll, I'll, I'll read through this bit. Right. I think this is a tricky one as well because we're online now. Like so, so many people are on in digital space, and that creates opportunity. I was speaking to a professor recently, and I won't say which one, just in case he doesn't want me to. But the uh, professor recently was saying that they were doing some uh, online lecturing, and they got way more engagement, way more engagement than they do normally when they do in person, because people were happier to type questions in. So there's a great opportunity there because they were left with them with a greater impression of the students. But likewise, it can be, I think, quite intimidating to go onto a webinar with a few hundred people on there and get your mic turned on and start asking a question do you do you have any um advice for people who don't actually know how to network especially in this digital yep. age yeah, yeah absolutely so so in this i basically talked about you know um they call it like the soft skills right and i put this phrase is simultaneously misleading and helpful soft implies that it's not core i.e it's not legal it's not a legal skill set uh and and yet basically undermines its importance, right? If you want to develop a career, you must think about it as a core skill in your arsenal. A skill is more helpful as it's because it correctly, describe, it correctly describes networking as something you must practice and learn in order to improve. As a sports enthusiasm, as a sports enthusiast, I'm sure we can all relate to this. There are many techniques and materials available for improving your networking skills, but here are the, the, are the things that I always remind myself before I go to any new environment. Right. And so this is what, you know, this is my in-person and then I'll come on to the digital one. Right. I don't think the two are that separate. And I do think people overcomplicate this. I think there's, there's too many people selling books, doing lectures on self-improvement and everything, not saying in sports, so I'm saying in just generally, and they make it way more complex than it needs to be. Right. People like other people generally, right. They like people who are interested and curious, right. And honest and sincere and pay attention and ask questions. 
that's the first thing, right? If you get that part right, if you're trying to like, you know, one, I will say this because I think it's really important. If you're just trying to get to build a relationship with someone just to get something from someone, eventually that's going to get found out and it's not going to go down well, right? It becomes very, very transparent, right? Over time, you might get away for so long. At some point, it's become obvious that you're just trying to manipulate someone. So there's a subtle difference with building meaningful relationships and adding value for people, which I'll come on to later, and a difference between doing it to get a, a you know, just absolutely in, in an insincere way. That's not the right approach. And I find that a lot of people who struggle with networking, they've read all these books, they do all these different things, and they've taken, you know, and they're confused basically. And then they go in trying to pretend to be someone they're not. And it just creates an inconsistency in which people don't know who they're dealing with. And they think there's some, you know, something not quite right. And they miss the moment to actually connect and 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 build a proper relationship. So the first tip was remember that no one is paying attention to you. Most people are thinking about themselves than they are of you. If you're new to a sector, you have the opportunity to bring your enthusiasm or positive energy to an event. I would also say that you can also bring a new perspective. So if you are going to a physical event, and I will still say this now in a digital space, if you're listening, pay attention. If there's anything that someone isn't saying, ask that question because you may be you may be the person who asks the question that everyone wants to ask and they're too embarrassed. Particularly again in, in our sector, sometimes it's a it's a very technical sector at times. People are spread very thinly because they've got their existing, you know, you say legal practice they're working on and they're trying to dip into sports law and out of it. Sometimes it can be embarrassing for someone who's more senior or more experienced in the market let's say, has been around for longer to ask a question that might seem a bit too obvious, let's say. Whereas if you're new to the market, you can do that. You've got the freedom and people will be, uh, I think, very gracious generally with answering those type of questions. Likewise, when you're at a conference, if you're long in the tooth like me, you can get a bit you can get a bit tedious going to events and networking. If you meet someone who's really enthusiastic to be there, um, you know, I would say it's a bit of a magic dust for us in terms of like our conferences and events we allow x number of students to come to our conference you know we allocate 50 tickets for our annual conference for students they bring a level of energy and enthusiasm that, that, just, that just, just just it becomes infectious right and, and and particularly when you when you get to meet some senior people sometimes the senior people don't get to see the 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 the, the young people coming through in the market or people who are new to the market so it's great i think they really enjoy that at the right time um <laughs> saying that and i've said i've put here being being new to the sector means you can bring fresh perspective on the topics of on the other being discussed at the conferences however do not ask too many questions when you go to events because and i mean that to the individuals if you get over enthusiastic and i'll put my hands up i'm one of those people you start asking way too many questions it can put people off right it can be a bit too much it's like a you know machine gun fire oh why that why this why that why that you've got to think if people are at events or particularly networking events, whether it is in a digital space or whether it is, um, depending on what the context is, or it's a physical event, there's a bit of like, it's a light relief. If you're outside of work, essentially you come to something, you want it to be the right type of balance, right? Between, and you will have to, the trick is here, have to realize whether or not someone's really interested in a topic or they're just pacifying you. Yeah. And I, I'm terrible at... How, how, how would you spot the signs of that? How to spot the science. So if if they, as being someone who's got verbal diarrhea most of the time, right, and my enthusiasm gets the better of me, I can normally recognize it as their face starts to go a bit, <laughs> a bit, <laughs> a bit like they glazed over. Um, 
And to be honest with you, it depends on it depends on who you're rift. If you if you're sort of like sounds a bit uh, David Brentis, right? If you're rifting, but say for example you're having a, a discussion with someone and you really, I think always err on the side of caution if you don't know them. So if you're talking for too long, right? If you're talking and you haven't given someone the opportunity to ask a question or put a break in, like me chatting to you at the moment, right? Um, then you're probably talking too long, right? Also, the question is if you're giving an opinion and you haven't been asked to give an opinion then you're probably doing that wrong. And again, me, and put my hand hand up on this. Again, I'm someone who's incredibly passionate, like a lot of people are in the sector, and that often gets the better of me. And I come away, and not only that, if you're really being honest about it, you can come away from an interaction and go, I didn't feel like that was a great interaction. Truth be told, there was something where the, I left the, the person and I didn't leave going, oh, Joe, I'll, I hope they're looking forward to seeing me later. You're like, I've kind of exhausted that conversation. Now, bearing in mind those people are different. You've got people who are into, more introverted, more extroverted. But I think a particular, you know, my 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 thing would be if the conversation is getting awkward, if I'm speaking too much, the thing I'd always go to, I still do, is ask people about what they do. You know, what's interesting? You know, how's their day going? You know, really basic stuff, right? Like, oh, are you up to anything interesting at the moment? Because they will tell you, right? So the clue would be, say, if you go, oh, so are you working on anything interesting at the moment? If they start to get a bit hesitant, it may mean that they can't talk about what they would like to talk about, right? They try to they go, okay, I appreciate that you can't talk about it. You know, anyway, I just thought it'd be interesting, you know, and you explain why you're interested. And that spots, you know, it's a bit of having emotional intelligence, right? So you can then identify that they that it might be awkward for them to talk about it, right? Um, likewise, if they're happy to talk, just keep asking questions, right? If they're going to, like, happy to impart knowledge on you and they're enthusiastic, then be comfortable with that as well. And you'll be surprised. No, we talked about this the other, the other day. Sometimes you go to these events and you can just start chatting to people who are, I don't know, even like football managers or whoever it may be, you think you haven't got much in common with. And then all of a sudden you're having a great normal, as you were saying, like, like normal conversation. Yeah. You don't really know what anyone's thinking, right? They're At the end of the day, they're all normal people. We're all, we're all humans. Exactly. Right. And the one thing I'll say in law as well is that a lot of the people who, who appear to be, um, really knowledgeable and polished and you know just seem to have it together right you look at these people and you think wow one day i hope to aspire to be you know one day i i, I aspire to be like them right and for someone who came into the sector was massively intimidated by lawyers massively intimidated by the the eloquence in which they would ask questions how to compose themselves how to speak in public and I used to get huge anxiety. And I mentioned this to you, huge anxiety. I'd go bright red. I'd start sweating if I tried to ask a question. If I bumped into someone and I thought, oh, wow, they've got a great job. I'd, my heart rate would just shoot through the roof. I had to work on breathing techniques, drinking water. I mean, I tried a lot of different things, right? To the point where I just recognized the fact that actually no one cares about me. Whereas in, that was the big thing. I was worried that they were judging me, but often they weren't. It was just, they, you know, but I let that anxiety build up. And then you find out that over time, like with, with athletes, these people are great because they practice and refine their skills over time. And therefore, that should give everyone enough hope that they could do the same. If they were to put the same time in the same effort, could they get there? Often the answer is yes. Um, one thing that I would... Um, yeah, the one thing, yeah, yeah, again, is recognize when you're going into a room, right? Or... And people having a conversation. If they're in a pair together and they're in an intense conversation, it's good. It's good advice not to go and interrupt, right? 
because it may mean they're having a private conversation that they don't want you involved with. If there's a group and you're on your own, by all means, and I recommend this to people because you're at a conference, people want to network, they want to meet people, go, hey, excuse me, I'm on my own. I don't know anyone. Would you mind if I come and join you guys? Most people, again, would go, yeah, of course. They've been there. They know it. They're very, And again, you're connecting as a human being. Most people would. And I always say to people, if people don't, right, they will either tell you because they're having a private conversation. Sorry, having a private conversation. Come back in a minute. Yeah, that would be fine. Great. And if they don't, are they people you want to talk to anyway? Like, that's that's why I look at it, right? Like, you know, if they're going to be hard work for the next hour or half an hour, there'll be other people that you can go and talk to. And if all that fails, go and grab yourself a drink, a coffee, or do whatever. Um, then um, the one piece of advice, this applies to, 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 to digital space as much as it does, I think even more so actually now during COVID times given all the negativity that's around in the world, all the stresses that are around in the world. If you read an article, if you listen to a podcast, if you watch a webinar, if you do anything like that, find the person's details if you really enjoy it and tell them that you really enjoyed it sincerely, not manipulatively. Don't worry that you might be saying something that's not particularly um, uh, bright or, or at least appear to be particularly smart or witty or, or um, insightful. But just write to them and say, hey, I love what you did. I love the way you speak. It was inspiring or, you know, you've made me think about this. I'm going to go away and do research. I appreciate you're really busy. You don't have to respond. Just wanted to let you know. Right. And my kids are back. <laughs> yeah, they're in the background. Um, so uh, that is the, the, the what well, that's again, something that could be overlooked. Right. And I write to, and I've written in the past to authors of books and I didn't think they'd respond and they've responded. And it means the world to them. I say, look, you're probably getting loads of, uh, letters, loads of emails, but I just want to say this, this meant this to me, right? You helped me with this. And they really appreciate that. You can't, and and at this moment in time, we're all stuck in computers. We've lost the human connection that we had, right? For the privileged few who could go to these events, I might add, right? Or go anywhere. So the, the, the equalizer here is now we're in a digital, largely in a digital environment. The barriers aren't there. Write to people, tell them, tell, tell them the good things, right? And this is the one thing I'll come on to later, right? Rather than try and pitch yourself in, right? I'll put on this to the next point, right? Yeah, build build relationships, not contacts. Um, Sorry, just just on that before you move on, what what's your opinion on using LinkedIn to network? And how how would you do it effectively? So it depends on who you're dealing with, but I think you can use LinkedIn effectively. I think, to be honest with you, all of the all of the platforms, I think most people agree, are a bit of a vanity project now. Yeah, and it's a bit disappointing to be honest with you and frustrating. I used to recommend, say, eight years ago that people spend X amount of time on LinkedIn, X amount of time on um, Twitter and all the other different platforms. But and I still think, you know, you have to invest time into it and you can you can get some real gems of conversations and interactions and networks, right? Um, the same thing applies. I'll give you an example, right? We've got um I'm involved in a in a project on uh, diversity and inclusion. Kwajo Ajipong, who is um, a, an arbitrator for sport resolution, and now uh, just got on the FA judicial panel, was in this group. We're having a conversation, and he mentioned the excellent work of a lady called Charlotte Valor, who uh, was a director chair of uh, the Institute of Directors, and changed the diversity, the makeup of the board within a year, which is incredible, went from pretty much being all white male to being, well, not quite, but but went to being 50-50 male female and 30% black minority ethnic on the board. There was no weak links in the appointment, right? There was no tokenism there. It was people who were of excellent caliber who deserved to, to get those positions, right? Which is just 
fantastic in terms of achievement. So I was really inspired and blown away by this uh, uh, you know, comment that Quajo had mentioned. And I researched it and was like, okay, that's really interesting. And I saw she was on LinkedIn. So I wrote to her on LinkedIn and said, look, I just wanted to say I'd love to connect with you because you're someone who makes change happen, right? You obviously care about impact. And I wrote a genuine what I was feeling at the time. It felt really awkward. It felt a bit cringy. <laughs> you know, like you're going, oh, I bet this is going to be read as some sort, you know, because you're worrying when you're writing these things that it's going to be read in a way that doesn't reflect greatly on you. But I thought, you know, at the end of the day, I read it and reread it, particularly from the her point of view, seeing what was going to be like, how was it going to be received? Am I talking about me too much? Or am I talking about the real reason why I would love to be able to connect and, you know, follow her updates and see what's going on? She responded. I wrote, then wrote a message to her and said, look, massively impressed what you've done just so you know been speaking about you quite joe would mention you um uh you know to give credit as well give credit to quite joe because it wasn't my idea like it wasn't my idea i had no idea who she was up to that and then she spoke to uh, a bunch of us basically involved in this group um about her work like three days later I said i said would you come and speak to the group yeah cool when do you want to i said well friday and she was like yeah okay and that was incredible, right? Because she seemed like someone who's hard to reach. You know, she's been lauded for the type of work that she'd done. Incredible lady. I mean, impressive. I mean, really impressive and kind and, uh, you know, just, just lovely. Um, and a real privilege and, you know, to get to get get, to, get imparted that level of wisdom uh, and experience on us like was was amazing. And that came out from just sending a LinkedIn message. So that's how you can do it. I've got, and I've mentioned this, and it's not to brag, but I've got like 5,000 connections on LinkedIn, 500 people waiting on the connecting right because the problem with the platform is they make it really easy for you to click connect problem i hate that i hate it and that's a strong word to use but i hate it because i don't want to just connect with randoms i want to connect with people who i know we've got something in common with something to connect on something that we can then okay. so yeah sorry no sorry to interrupt um so your advice is mainly to connect with people that connect and message people that you have a genuine interest in rather than just connecting with anyone that you think and anyone and everyone in the in the area so so they what's the what's the the, the law about networks right you can manage about 150 people in one network right in one time before you start to lose it and the bigger challenge becomes when you are well networked like me you, you then suffer because you're just you can't you i feel anyway maybe it's just me though but i feel like i can't be the good friend the good colleague the good um person i would like to be to to many people like the people i've got relationships with relationships that matter to me i don't feel like i can serve them right so i haven't checked in on so many people to say hey how you doing like, i'm not just doing it just because it's a good thing to do because it's a sales tool i'm doing it because i actually care about how they're doing right and that's the difference between when people like for me that in this day and age i think it is the gold dust like i keep using my gold dust but i think remember to use a different term i think that's the thing if you've got all the other characteristics right and you care enough right to to remember people and build those relationships i think that's going to be the thing that stands out because i think there's a lot of people who care about scale and they don't care about meaningful relationships and i think that's yeah go on. I think it's good to point out that these like relationships don't happen overnight. Yeah. Like people, people have a false narrative that they think they can message someone on LinkedIn and then that's, that's a connection. That's a relationship they have, but it, it's more than one message, yeah. isn't it? You have to constantly be in touch with that person and build the relationship. Well, you know, we, we talk about this internally, right? That, that 
you've got to understand that people are really busy in this day and age, right? And particularly at the moment with COVID, everyone's got loads of pressure. So I'm certainly not my best self at this moment in time. I, I, you know, it's something I'm trying to work on, but I definitely think all the pressures is bringing out the the most competitive, most um, selfish side of me, like as in, you know, not always, but I think that's a problem, right? And I, I would imagine that most people are, you know, are having... I have a lot of people I'm speaking to are saying the same thing, right? That they've, they're now getting aware of the fact that that's been building, that, that, that you know, all of just not dealing with the uncertainty that's in the, in the current environment. It's a pressure. If you're a student at the moment or aspiring lawyer or a junior lawyer or, you know, someone just trying to get into this, you know, desperately, you know, you're not doing a job you like, you want to get into the sports center, it's hard. And they're going, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is it going to be two years, three years? It could be four years. It doesn't really matter. I think, in the truth of the matter, it doesn't matter as long as you've got enough. You don't got a roof over your head. You can, you know, you, you know, if you've got your, you know, your was it um, the the is it uh, what's it? Is it Maslow um, hierarchy? Is it Maslow or yeah, 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 right? You, you, you get your needs sorted, right? Essentially, if you can eat, you know, you can do the activities you want. You got a roof over your head, right? The rest of it is just about how how long does it take you, really? It's just a question of when, rather than if it's going to happen. But on the relationship side. It's better off having 20 people that you can actually relate to. Both personally, I believe this, in terms of having great people around you, a support network around you. It's better off having 20 people around you you can actually relate to and you know, speak to and build relationships with than it is having, like I said, I've got 5,000 connections on LinkedIn. Whoopie doodah, right? It adds a load of stress because you're trying to keep a, a breath abreast of everyone, everything everyone's doing. I'm constantly on there trying to like go, oh man, this is really good. And I'm also then trying to go, do I actually believe it's really good? Because we're, you know, all the stuff we do with social dilemma and others, where you're trying to work out whether or not the behavior, and this is the challenge as well, we're doing a digital space. Are you doing something because you really believe it, or are you doing it because the social norm is that you should like something, that you should, you know, give it a, a heart on Twitter, right? That you should, you know you know, or on Instagram or whatever, right? Are you doing it because you want to or are you doing it because the crowd's telling you that you should do it? Oh, everyone's commented on this. But do you really believe it? If you don't really believe it, then I would I would say that don't do it. And that's my rule of thumb. I go through everything and I, sometimes I see people and it looks really cool what they're doing and everything else. But I go, well, actually, great. Like, it's cool they're doing it, but I don't feel like commenting. I don't feel like sharing it. I don't feel like doing it, so I don't do it. And it sounds really, probably sounds so obvious. But the difference is if you but if you invest the time, say you read someone's update on LinkedIn and you go, that's really cool. I wonder about this. Ask the question. I saw a fantastic, I saw a fantastic interaction with David Grevenberg from the CEO of the Commonwealth Games the other day, um, who I rate very highly. Um and someone had put a post on one of his connections had put a post about um under the water in uh, the Caribbean, they put, uh, I can't remember where it was in the Caribbean, but they put basically an engraving of, 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 of um, um, African slaves basically were thrown overboard when they were brought into the Caribbean, right? And it was quite a moving, like, you know, like, wow, okay, that's something. That's a, it's a, it's a quite a, um, impactful thing to see. Right, the photo of it, and then he 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 put the word in about oh, this is the the, the um that uh, African genocide, 
right? And then someone put a post on there basically going, uh, genocide, you know, basically saying that he's understanding what genocide was, that he was relating to Jews and didn't understand. Anyway, there was a great interact, meaningful interaction, not a judgmental, not like some of the stuff you see on Twitter and stuff like that, a meaningful interaction. But it was beautiful for that education piece. So I read the comments and I was like, that's great. I didn't have anything else to comment on it, but I just thought it was great that the humility that both the David and the other gentleman showed in sort of his was saying, oh, Joe, you know actually, I misunderstood the, what the term um, no, Holocaust, sorry, it wasn't genocide. Holocaust was the word. He thought it only related to to the to Jews, but rather than actually an attack on uh, uh, people, and forgive me for not getting the, the definition correct, the point being it was a wonderful interaction. Again, that's an opportunity to learn and develop and show your true self, right, in the sense of, and that sounds, some of this stuff sounds really cliche. I don't mean it in the throwaway, you know, some of the stuff that people say, like, be your true self, right, <laughs> right, and you know, but I mean it as in have a meaningful interaction. I've always found like, you know, I do, I put a post on LinkedIn, put it on a better post that I wrote. I woke up on a Monday morning and I thought to myself, man, I am absolutely blessed, fortunate to do what I do and work with great people. And I remind myself of that, as you know, like try to as much as possible. Because I get, I, you know, if you're mission led and you're like that, that obsessed with trying to make a difference, if you feel like you're not making a difference or anyone's getting in your way of making a difference, it can get, it can you know, or if you deal with like some of the issues that we deal with, with safeguarding, matrix, antidoping, can weigh quite heavily on you because you're dealing with a quite heavy materials. Anyway, I wrote this post basically going, Joe, you know what? The one thing I am really fortunate about, I run my own business, right? I work with great people. I did a job that was cr really crappy like years ago, like in the sense of like nice people, good companies, but it was just like you just a process heavy job. Had you know, you're worried about going to the toilet without, you know, people going, Oh, you've gone to the toilet a lot today. No, you've gone to get a coffee a lot today. You know, the stuff like that, right? All this, you know, not having true ownership over your work and so forth. So to do what I do and to be intellectually challenged every day was such a blessing. And I felt that way. And so I put it out on LinkedIn. I was at a networking event. Someone I didn't know when the council went, oh, you're that guy. After we started talking, you're the guy who wrote that post on LinkedIn. That was really lovely. That was better than, rather than all the other stuff that was going on. It was actually something that was really sincere. And I always remember thinking, I don't think I've really, I've written some nice stuff in the like some updates and again i have just something i'm trying to work on but something for the for the for those people trying to get into the market if you're generally honest about what you're up to what your aspirations are not writing they you know oh no one will help me boo -hoo -hoo. like as in when there's no real reason for you crying for help because you haven't tried yet but you actually need like joe you know what i'm finding this confusing i wonder does anyone have any advice right stuff like that people will respond you'll be surprised like how many people will respond because people generally i believe you know there's a lot of good people in the world they generally want to help they've got to know how to help and if you're trying to put on a front like you're the finished product or you're trying to and the big risk is trying to overstate and we'll come on to this and maybe we have to do this in two parts i'm thinking um but but the you know if you're trying to overstate your your knowledge right you're overshooting let's say it's not going to go down well right and people will see it you're going to get caught out and you don't need to either. No one expects that of, of you, right? Um, anyway, so we, we, let's see what we can rattle through the rest of it, right? So on that point, so some of this we touched on, right? So it's about building, uh, I would say building relationships, right? Rather than contacts. And I said, I, I say this from the reason I'm going to express this again. I've heard people give talks on this and I disagree with them wholeheartedly. I think it's terrible advice, right? There will, you know, I, I, and this is what I'll say the difference is. And I say this all the time to people. You should always ask how you can add value. Always ask how you can add value. How can I, like, even if you're connecting with someone because you want to get, you know, you want to engage with them, you want to get their experience. Ask, can I help you in any way? Right? Can I, what can I do for you? Right? I'm not saying you have to be a complete, you know, um, 
you know, uh, you know, does be over charitable. But my point is, you should always be asking, like, if I want to add value to you as an organization, I want to add value to you as an individual. I'm doing it because I really want to help you. I'm doing it because I think we've got a genuine connection. I'm doing it because I think I can add value in the world and value to you, right? And I back myself, I will say, what you say, back yourself. I back myself to do that. If you're doing it as a ruse because you're really looking over their shoulder at who they're speaking to, now, don't be wrong, people do that successfully. Good for them. I think that is one of the reasons why we've got some bad culture sometimes in the professional services market. I think it's why we've got bad culture in sport, particularly in uh, sports agency. You know, some of the bad conducts we see is because people are not being, not trying to actually go, how can I help you? They're going, I'll help you to the point where you think I'm giving you enough value and then I'm going to ask for what I want. And I think that is manipulative and I don't like it. That's my personal preference. And, I'll, but I, I, and I think a lot of youngsters get caught up because they see these people who are flashy and everything else, and they may not even have great reputations in the market. Some may have. And they give this advice out, and it's just manipulative advice, straight up manipulative advice, right? And it comes back to haunt them, and then they wonder why people aren't responding in the way that they think they should respond, right? Um, so I just want to make that loud and clear. Um then I've got like ask for advice and assistance, right? So again, it's coming on to the same point, right? How can I help you? Know, you know, like when you're asking, you know, advice and from people who are time poor, often the people you want to get to are time poor. They generally want to help. It's my biggest frustration. It stresses me out daily. I would love to help more people. Love to be able to go. I oh, I could change that person's world if I could just give them enough time to give them two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. But it's not scalable to do that, right? Many other people I know feel the same. Like that's why we've got the mentoring schemes. Why the reason we set it up? Um, you know, because there was a demand from top people like Nick DeMarco from um uh I'm sorry, going on and forget all the bloody mentors now. <laughs> um from uh, uh Alex Kellum, from Chris Duffy, from uh, Dev Kumar Palm, I'd like to go for the list of people, right? And I've apologies to Takuya Mazaki for all the other mentors, right? They said to me, like, I want to help these people, but we just don't have time to do it. So we're like, why don't we create a structure in which we can give you time to do it? Most people want to help, but they can't justify necessarily just helping everyone because when they do it for one person, it becomes difficult because they feel they have to do it. They almost feel obliged to do it for everyone. So the question is then to draft an email, to draft a message, to leave, to pick up the phone and say, look, I appreciate you're really busy. I know you've got a lot to do. Write to the people who genuinely inspire you, right? Or you think you're impressed by what they've achieved. That, you know, don't waste your time going, I'd love to connect with you, can get your advice. You pick up the phone, you do something, and then the person doesn't have a clue on what they want, what the direction is, right? You should be obligated that before you ask for help, before you ask for advice, before you ask that, you've at least done been thorough, right, to do your research. And what I mean by that is your research on yourself, what you really desire, what you really want, really where you're going. And, and then ask the questions, I don't know this. This is what I don't know, right? Then you can go to someone, right, and say, hey. But I think, it's, I, think, I think it's also important to research those questions yourself, those questions yourself too, Absolutely. because you don't, want to, you don't want to go to someone and ask a question and waste their time for something Absolutely. that you could have got on the internet. It just doesn't look good, does it? No, it does not look good. <laughs> it really doesn't. When someone goes, I'm doing this research paper and I'm doing da, da, da. Can you help me out on this? And it's like, have you Googled, <laughs> right? Have you, or, or in case it's sports law, have you read the cast case, right? Have you read the cast case? Have you, have you done the basic 101 stuff? And I agree. And so, but also it's a missed opportunity. And, you know, 
you know, bringing it back to to my you know younger self. I'm not sure if it's useful for people, but I don't consider myself to be um, particularly competent in most things, right? And and so, but I try very hard, which is a you know the, the superpower, I guess. But the um um, I didn't have people mentoring me on how to network. Now I was really lucky that I had loads of great people I work with and lots of kind people. They supported and helped, and I had sport. So I was used to talking to people through sport, and I went to university, and I, you know, as a mature student. But I, I really didn't know. I wasn't very polished. Let's say I'm still not very polished, but I particularly wasn't very polished then. The when <laughs> I got introduced to some people who were like really impressive people, and so people I knew liked me. They knew I was hardworking, and I just got like you know in the headlights when they someone I met with these people, and they went, "So how can I help you?" I immediately you go sit down for a coffee they're busy they got half an hour of time i just didn't get it i just thought we we're gonna have a conversation like you know have a general chit chat i want to get into this sector i can help you out and i'm there i hadn't done my prep i didn't know what prep to do right and so he went how can i help you and i was like i just wanted to have a chat and now i recognize what a bad thing that was because it feels like that you're now they feel like you're not taking it seriously yeah and you've just wasted not wasted, but it seems to them that they've just wasted half an hour of their precious time. Exactly. And I was so appreciative of their time, right? But I was so intimidated by by them. I was like, what can I possibly ask them? We're so far apart in our world. What can I possibly ask them that's gonna it's gonna resolve all my problems? Right. That's gonna resolve, it's gonna give me all this not like I, I couldn't I I think I overthought it. And I speak to a lot of people, I think overthink it right? Particularly when you're starting out. When really the question was to be to go, right, right, what do I know now? What do I need to know? What Where's the gap in my knowledge? What's the gap that I need, right? And then secondly, if they've said, look, I'm happy to grab a coffee, happy to do that, do you really want to accept that? So there's an obligation, right, that you're not going to waste their time? Yeah, I would think, right, the way to look at it would be, is it right? If they want to meet with me now, maybe they want to meet with me in a few months' time, maybe you could say to them, hey, I appreciate you really busy. Thank you so much for the offer. But would it be okay if I came back to you in six months? Because I just feel at this moment in time, I'm, it might be a wasted opportunity. I appreciate you're really busy. I don't want to waste your time. I feel like I've got some, and they would go, wow. Like they'll see that in Germany and go, wow, what, a, what an individual. That person's thoughtful, considerate, thorough, all those implied things that are being said. Right? I'll give you an example. Someone, someone today, um, can't mention names, but someone's, uh in terms of recruitment right just send a note to say thank you for for on something we're doing on recruitment right massively impressive thank you so much for the opportunity to get me to here we don't even know if they're going to get the job but they were genuinely sincere right and you note that and go they made the effort to do that that's all like we can check or we've got people um you know not to embarrass them we should, but we're doing the, the the football law report, as you know, with uh, the impact of COVID nineteen on football with Michele Colucci and the Sports Law and Policy Centre. It was his like brainchild, and Alexandro Coni and Rustam Sentana, uh, Sentana, sorry, helped out uh, on the first three reversion report, and now too busy. Now he's working at Mills and Reeves, just no under we work. And obviously, you have been helping out. Marcos has been helping out with us, um, Satilia, Satiliana. And um, anyway, so we've got a couple of people. So we've got uh, someone called Raphael. And Henry, who are a Pepperdine, we've got a young lady called uh, Connie, who's a, um, now at Columbia, and then we've got uh, a young gentleman called Edison, who's just out of Melbourne Law School, right? All of them have been willing to help. Not only have they been willing to help, like, you know, check with language, and they've done it with, like, no caveats. 
oh, if I can help, if I'm free, I'm going to help. They do it in a timely fashion. They don't ask for anything. They just do a great job and focus on doing a great job. And they enjoy the process. I mean, I just think so highly of all of them, right? Like because of the fact they're not trying to get anything. They're trying to get value, right? They're trying to they're trying to be helpful, right? And increase their knowledge and understanding. And it's these subtle things that they don't, maybe they find out this for the first time. I don't know. But I, if people ask me, you were to ask me, what do I think of these people? I will speak very highly of them. Or we had a gentleman by the name of Tom Cleave, who's now um, a Pennington's. Uh, the law firm, right? He's an employment lawyer and sports lawyer. He volunteered at our conference as a law grad, just came over and volunteered, and he was fantastic. When I mean fantastic, he was fantastic. Just did his job. He had loads of time to network, did all that, but he just, the number one thing he didn't lose sight of, he was there to volunteer to help to make sure it ran well. So I can't say which organization, but when an organization said, hey, do you know anyone who is um, a sports organization? said, who, do you know anyone who's, who's, like we, we, we've got a scheme. We want to see if it's going to work. We just want to need to, to see if we can get someone in. There's a paralegal who do you know you could trust or just, you know, just need someone very quickly in, in you know, roughly in this type of area. And I mean, the first person who sprung to mind was that person, right? Cause you could rely on them, you know, they were, and you know, that person and Tom's now had a great career and that organization still think very highly of them. I think very highly of him, right? Because of how he conducted himself. It's all of these very, very subtle, um, things that take place. Um, I think we can get, we've covered a lot of the other stuff, so I'm just going to run through it real quick. When you're going to go to send emails, communications, whether it's on Twitter, DM, everything else, unless you know this person, unless you're the friends, be really formal. Be really formal. Dear, best regards, yours sincerely, right? Be formal to begin with, right? Can you, sorry, can you hear my youngest scream in the background? Sorry, that means I've been on this for too long. Um, but the, uh, so I'm going to have to go and help with the childcare, but the um this is the covid life for us but the um the um oh dear it's dinner time <laughs> this is the other thing right like uh the the, the work life balance um so i'm going to try and speak louder than he's mild he's got such a loud scream it's unbelievable right he's just unhappy about something i've got no idea what to do oh hilarious it's not hilarious because the crying baby is quite distressing to me but I think he just wanted his dinner by something or, or milk or something. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, right. So coming back to the the, the podcast, um, right? Be formal in your communication. It's always good to go formal, then as a rule of thumb, and then go informal if someone else goes informal. Right? It just shows a level of respect. It shows a level of professionalism. It just shows a certain level of intellectual and emotional IQ. Right. Next up, um, think of ways to gain experience. What I mean by this is the people overlook this like all the time. They think they have to work for a Premier League club. Great if you can. They think they have to work for an NFL team. There are oh, so many people in sport who are overworked, need help. Right? So many. That point I'll say, all the stuff I was saying earlier, be sincere. Say, can I help you? Can I solve a problem for you? If you can, it's highly likely you're going to get some experience. Help out a local sports team. Help out a players association. Help out your local council. Help out, um, you know, depending where you are in the world, right? The, you know, a government official, a sports council. Help, you know, organize an event. Help volunteer event. Do what you can, right? And just, just on that, it's, do, you, do you recommend, sorry, I know we're trying to get through no, this, but uh, do you recommend reaching out to these people like you said and then just what can i do for you is that's the best that's yeah, the best you, way to well, get obviously you've got, form, you got formal 
formal routes. So you've got the formal routes, internships, work experience, uh, all that type of stuff. Great, right? I'll give you an example. Some of the people in a mentoring scheme, for example, that's one of the things you can do, apply to our mentoring scheme. doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you can apply to such schemes. Right? And we're not the only ones who do these type of schemes. There's loads of people doing great stuff, um, like like globally, who are giving opportunities, you know, DC offering uh, opportunities, Asser Institute. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole ton of people, right? You just have to find uh, the right place. But one of those, you know, twice one of our mentors has basically given live work essentially or brought the the, men, the mentees into live work because they've got faith in the mentee because they can trust the mentee they're getting work to work on cast cases they're getting to do loads of cool stuff to get to write reports or getting published i mean it's just absolutely fantastic because you can have confidence in them so one of the things like you know i referenced the maca scott interview in the article right this is this displays the type of way to, to communicate, right? So she got a she got an internship. She had a hard she she tried to she applied for the um the Diamondbacks for a, 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 an internship position there, a baseball team, and first went to didn't get the interview right because I didn't feel like she was being herself or that there wasn't quite something quite right. She went back next year and went right. I've taken on board all the feedback. Absolutely did a great job got the internship because you basically turned around to them and said, right, like I heard from her boss, the boss said, basically a dear, the general counsel uh, said, um, she's quite bold of her. She basically turned around and said, look, I've done everything you've asked you now going to give me the job or not. Right? <laughs> Essentially. And they kind of respected that gave her the job. When she was there, she went around the whole department, all the business end of it around the, the office and said, what can I help you with? Anything you need help with data protection became something that became very important. No one else wanted to deal with it. She picked it up. What happened? They gave her a job. When I was at when I was at Simmons and Simmons as a, as a when I was at law school, so university, and I was working in credit control and just in the accounts department at the time, just doing ad hoc work. I got involved in a project to to basically manage the 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 accounts and files of a department that was going to be uh, moved to another law firm. No one wanted to touch to it. The finance director said, "Look, hey." Um, would you like to be involved with this? We trust you. You, know, you can do it, you know, working remotely or in the office, wherever you want. Well, you're really fortunate. No one such it. And I'd built up over time a good reputation from just getting stuff done. So they felt I was a safe pair of hands. They knew I could do it independently. I'd report back in and, and be accountable, right? That was one of the best projects I've always involved. That gave me so much confidence. It was really interesting. I, it actually was the thing that, that gave, was the real push for me to, to, to want to study law because I found out about state protection schemes and it was, it was really interesting and, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But it's because I, they had confidence in me, right? Because I was trying to solve problems for people. I was trying to help people within the organization. I wasn't, again, it doesn't sound like, you know, I don't know, I always feel like when you say helping people, or, or, uh, it's kind of people feel like it's something weak like as in like as a volunteer it's not something they take that seriously if you see what I mean it's something that you do like it's not business critical when I think I feel like it's business critical right if you're really trying to do it be part of a team really trying to develop the business you go beyond just doing the main job you're looking further ahead and I think if you're going to say for example you're going to come up with obstacles with this so for someone I know who's in India um, one of our uh, former mentees, he wrote to, you know, I gave him advice on trying to get experience with a, a cricket organization. And the, 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 the CEO basically said, we don't like lawyers. We don't want to use them. They just stop things happening. And so then I had to give it, you know, that may happen, but then you have to say, right, what's the issue? Well, the issue is the person doesn't understand the value of uh, 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 someone who's legally educated and what they can do. So then he's got a challenge to then articulate how he could help. 
right? Look, I'm not going to cost you anything. Yeah, just, I'm just going to help you, right? And if they don't want it, they don't want it. But if you could turn around to someone, because like we get a lot of people who say, I'd love to help Laura in sport. There's very few that I have confidence in through, the, through interacting with them that I could trust them to do it. Because they're just, again, they're looking at it as a stepping stone to get elsewhere, which is great, but the stuff that, the, the, that they get the most value from is stuff they need to be trusted to be able to, to, to do. So it's it's all about your intentions. Don't just do it for the profile. Actually, Kerr, actually. Put... Yeah, and it's not to say that, absolutely, but and you can still, you, it's not to say you shouldn't be going, oh, I hope I get, you know, exposure. I hope this helps build my network. I hope, of course, you want it to, to be progressive. You don't want to do something, you're not going to do something to go, I hope this has zero impact on me, right? Both personally and professionally. That's just crazy. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if your prime motivation is, oh, this looks cool, hopefully I'll get this, and you're all get, like getting, you know, caught in the in the in the lights the chances are again you're not doing the right thing and you're probably not going to do a great job and one of the things i say to people is that you know on the mentoring scheme and and, and else and other things is like you know people who've worked with us in the past if you say you're going to do something do it if you say you want to help someone don't write to people going offering help all over the place right oh, i'd love to do this and you can't do it doing it you can't deliver on it that sucks right that, that's really not a great going to do well for you right because you just think, ah, uh, you're not, you're unreliable. So again, being, t- you have to have real intention about what you want to do. And that might be, yeah, you know, just again, but being honest as well about it, going, hey, I don't know. I've got this. This is my skill set. What is my skill set, first of all? If you're legally educated, you've got a sports business background. My skill set is if you're legally educated, I can do research. You should be able to do research well. You should be able to do summaries, right? You should be able to write relatively well, right? You should be able to navigate basic regulations right you should have a, a like, you, know, you should be better equipped than most people without a legal education in navigating legal issues or regulatory issues right governance issues you should have you know you should be good at type you know, imagine you'll be good at typing right and doing that that is useful to people take the burden off those people right and then double down on doing a great job double down on doing a great job i can't emphasize that enough don't just do what someone tells you to do triple double check hey is this what you wanted is there anything else more i can do right if you're that hungry again these people and we t- I talk about a lot with you know again with very senior people in the market these people are gold dust like, like they, re- they they you know i love using magic dust dust i don't know what's going on with with this other stuff today i'm just thinking i'm probably thinking about food and at the moment <laughs> oh sprinkles um but the uh like those type of people are so rare they really are rare and part of it's a confidence thing Part of it is not knowing what, you know, people not really knowing and I'm being unsure so they don't do it. I'm saying to everyone listening, please do it, right? Be the people people have confidence in, right? Be the people who deliver. If you can't deliver, say, I've really overestimated what I could do and do it early. Don't be intimidated. I said, I think like in this day and age as well with like, uh, I sound like such an old man nowadays, but in social media, like everyone feels like they're the perfect, everyone appears to be the perfect person. So there's naturally like like a you know born to be a superhuman right who's mega organized they got all the knowledge and everything else and we were talking about this earlier internally right the best people I know are using checklists right they write stuff down they they go through every day what their what their routines are they're trying to take discipline to that they're still working on it even though they're like some of the most successful people I know and yet for some reason the gap between something happens in the middle of when you're studying or the lack of information that's imparted on you when you're starting to go, like, this is really dull, really dull. But you know what's really effective? Being organized is really effective. Using your calendar to make sure you don't miss appointments is really effective, right? 
knowing what you're interested in and not getting distracted with all the noise, right, is really effective, right? Having some cert certainty, being honest as well, because there's something I think, ref like, if you can be honest about, I don't know. I really don't know what I want. I really don't know where I want to go. Great, because as soon as you acknowledge that, you can then say, what do I think I would like to, you know, what would give me the answer? What would help me make a better decision? Maybe getting some experience. Maybe I should do some research. You can articulate yourself a bit more once you once you realize you don't know what you want. Exactly, exactly. And then coming on to this, once you've done that, then you can share your views. Once you've done that, share your views. Way too many people, I mean, way too many people, and I can't overstate this, give an opinion that's not an informed opinion. It's not a well-researched opinion. I don't believe in uh, unjustifiable work or unjustifiable hierarchies, you know, or as, you know, as, uh, you know where you have to wait 10 years before your opinion matters, right? I don't, I don't, you know, I think there is something to do with, you know, obviously refining a skill set and hard work and time, but you can accelerate that. Some people can do it in a year. Some people can do it in 10 years, right? And of course, if you're new to a sector, new to a topic, sometimes those fresh pair of eyes can be awesome. You can see patterns that other people can't see. You can see gaps in arguments that other people can't see. People like me, because I'm too ingrained in the sector, don't have time to pick up on it and, and look at it, right? That creates a huge opportunity. However, do not, I repeat, do not, even as an informal blog, start writing stuff on a website that you don't know that is factually correct. It will come back and sting you so badly at some point. You'll have to stand by that. And nowadays, all the companies doing searches on social media, and that goes to the same when you're sharing your views on social media. Don't start putting out there like, oh, Man United are a bunch of whatever, or Man City are a bunch of da -da -da -da, or whatever. Yeah save that save that for private networks save that for your friends save that forever don't be wrong there's some uh i don't know how to use the word banter but i'm gonna use the word banter right there's some something about like that that is wonderful in sport and it's great and everything else but just be mindful that if you're looking to work in football if you're looking to do you know that's probably a bad idea for you right because they're going to look they're going to get a company that they'll pay to do you know vetting of their cvs and vetting of the candidates there's a good chance it will come up and then they're going to go, I don't really want this person. I can't trust them, right? Because they're going to be too opinionated. And this is the difficult balance, I think, for, for, for people coming into the market now. You're being told, be yourself, be, be your individual, right? But not too much, <laughs> right? Not all the time, not in this, but I just think we have to deal with the realities of the market and people still want professionals. And the problem is, if you don't know what it is you want to do, you don't know who you're going to be working for, right? You don't know who your clients are going to be. You don't know where you're going to go. So do you really want to burn those bridges? And is it something you can really stand by in years to come and i'm very fortunate that facebook wasn't like it was when i started out but like i mean it was just at uni and people just doing stupid things on, on facebook right like just stupid comments because they didn't think it was ever gonna no one's ever gonna see it they just thought it was just between you and your mates and it was just like the stupid you know ad almost adolescent type behavior um so be very mindful of that reference right reference the body of work that's already been done people pick up on it and particularly the people that matter if you do a great job of doing that brilliant right if you do a great job of it great you will get that will get noticed right but make sure you're thorough don't overreach it was, of course if you've got an opinion and you're saying look hey i've seen this i don't know really yeah i don't i'm not an expert in this area i acknowledge it right but my view is that i feel this that's great right you just don't know you know use again using the football analogy you don't need to go in double footed you don't need to go this is appalling these are outrageous this is you know like i used to when i started in the sector luckily i was not very good at writing so that was good for me so i didn't have a hot i wasn't prolific so um but quickly speaking to people privately i found out that a lot of my views weren't well founded 
I thought people in sports organizations don't care and the governing bodies didn't care. I felt like there was a lot of bad, like you know, bad actors who were just trying to hold on to power. I'm not saying that, the, that there's not institutional issues in some organizations, but a lot of the people I had the privilege and do have the privilege of knowing, they were trying to do a great job within the constraints of the environment they were in. They were really, and, that, and half the time they agreed with what my, um, yeah, yeah, or frustrations were, right? But they had just had legitimate like problems that they couldn't, that were bigger than them, right? And it was unfair for me to judge them in that way. And so I could still make a valid point. And in fact, they would want me to make a valid point and want many authors to make a valid point as long as it was justified, right? As long as it was based in fact. So um, do you find that confusing though, for, from your perspective, or does that make sense? Yeah, well, no, I, what you're saying makes sense, but like I do get that the industry, like you said, they tell you to be yourself, but you can't be to yourself. You can't put your opinions out there too much is it just it's, it's in your face isn't it and you obviously you might be wrong and well i've done stuff how many times do you do stuff reactively right and this yeah. is the problem right don't pretty much don't do anything reactively pretty much every just bad decision i've ever made has been a reactive so it, it is it is hard to navigate though from from like a someone just trying to get into sports law it's hard to navigate when you should give your opinion and when you shouldn't but i think that your advice in saying that okay, I'm not an expert in this area, but I do feel this. Like, I think given that bit at the start that you're not the expert does soften it a bit. There, there's, I think one piece of advice that I try and give to myself is if I'm going to, it's really easy to shoot the people, right? It's really easy to be critical of people. And I find myself doing it privately all the time, right? Just being honest. All the time I have this voice that goes, oh, well, I don't agree with that view. Huh, what are they writing that for, Right. And I, then I stop and go, well, hold on. You, you know, and I had an embarrassing situation actually with a, a, a one of our editorial board members who's a friend of mine who did something and I was critical of what they did on Twitter. And I didn't start off being that way. I just ended up in a, like, again, being reactive. Da, 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 da. And I, I basically, I was trying to say that what they were, okay, it was really interesting. I tried to say what they were doing was good, but it could have been doing this, right? They could have had this. There's a risk that it would be perceived this way. And I got that as rabbit hole. We ended up DMing each other. Right. And, and in the end, I was like, I'm an art. Oh, I shouldn't really swear on these things. But I just thought, I'm going to say it. I thought, I, well, I, I just was an ass. I just thought, I'm being an ass. I'm not being very nice here. He's doing something really cool. It's actually really good. And actually, if I looked at it away from Twitter and he told me over the phone, I'd go, that's amazing. Well done. Congratulations. That's an awesome project you've been involved with. And instead, I focused on one element that I thought could be tweaked or there was a risk of you know something, conflict or whatever it was. And I, and I just not said it. I should have had a conversation with him over the phone and we could have discussed it because when we actually did pick up the phone and have a chat about it um, and DM'd it, like we were on the same page. We both agreed on the same thing. And I'd assumed. Sorry. I also think on your point there, I think that um, it's a big thing that you can't read someone's tone over social media and stuff too, isn't it? You don't know what way someone's trying to, get the message across and you can just take it completely the wrong way and right. and, and and that's what happened and this and i apologize to this person pretty much not every time i see them but i appear to because i use it as an example was just like how you can get it so wrong like as in i was actually quite disgusted with my behavior it wasn't a huge thing but just because i thought i'm not better than that and instead the green eye monster essentially had gone like mm, you, you're smarter than than that you've seen this you know again this is the problem right ha huh. Ha ha, you've seen it. No one else has seen this thing. You need to point it out. And I think particularly at the moment, it's very tempting to get to to, to, to get that way. Right. I think I think in fact you're encouraged to be that way. And so I think the challenge is to go, is it really worth like essentially, am I adding something? 
don't be wrong. If you see something, you go, well, hold on, this raises a question. Again, can you make that point, but with, with in a more, let's say, balanced way to go, look, hey, I recognize what you're doing is great. In that situation would be, I recognize what you're doing is great. It's interesting, you know, and I tried to do that actually in the first place, but I just, I just worded it badly and it started, you know, but you know, what you're doing is great. However, I see this, or is it something you should write to them privately? Again, that's a great opportunity. If you spot something, you could write to someone and they'd really appreciate it and say, Hey, you know, my view is on this. Am I right? And like, you know, what's your take on this? I see this is the case. And they'd appreciate that dialogue, right? Rather than being, you know, so aggressive and don't get me wrong. If you see something, you clearly, you know, um, uh, 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 in loggerheads with your personal views and, uh, you know, your, what you know to be true and you feel that's the case, then by all means, go for it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying often, in there, particularly with the amount of noise that's in the market at the moment, you can't, and I, again, as I emphasize this, you can't trust all the legal articles you read. You can't trust all the news articles you read. Therefore, be mindful of that, that you might be based your knowledge on something that's not true. And having fallen foul of that on many occasions, I'm really, really cautious of it. But also, I firmly believe that if you do something of quality, right, when I... Uh, Going slightly off tangent. When I got into the sector, I thought if I'm a lawyer, if I could be a lawyer, people will respect my opinion. Get misguided. Why? Because I, I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, I'm talking about this. You know, how to project yourself and focus on things that were, what you know you want and how to build relationships. I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted people to respect my opinion. Because what I wanted to do was have impact in the world. For whatever reason, that's a whole other podcast. But you know, I wanted to have a, a an impact with. Yeah, helping people have access to justice, helping people have, you know, people who don't have, have, right? Helping people like, you know, help people understand the law because I felt like too many people have overcomplicated the law and it's not actually not that difficult. Once you can understand the terminologies, it gets way more accessible and do something like that. And I thought, well, who's going to listen to me if I'm the Sean sports science graduate? No one, right? No one's going to listen to me. And the question I was asking was the wrong question, which was like, how can I get people to pay attention? How can I, how can I actually have an impact in the world? That was the question I should have asked. How can I have impact in the world? And just so happens that the, the you know, whole other thing happened and I started doing law and sport and I realized actually if you do something good quality, something that adds value, something that really adds value. And what I mean by that is something that helps in some way, shape or form, helps an individual, helps an organization, helps people solve problems solve, right? Adds, uh, you know, and in this, we're in the knowledge business, in law and in sports, so it's a knowledge game, right? That's what we are. That's we're knowledge workers in this space. We're not the athletes, we're the mental athletes. Right, we're not the physical athletes in the, on the pitch. We're the mental athletes trying to help things. In theory, we should be trying to help the, the the sports sector improve and develop and get better. Therefore, in order to do that, it's hard. You have to put in some 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 effort. You, that, that's that's why people get yeah the young lions right. So if you're trying to get into it, maybe you don't just because your friends are off doing different things, putting all this stuff on social media. Good for them. If that's like you know, thing I'd say is like there's people like Daniel Gee, for example. Jake Cohen, Daniel Wallach, these guys are on social media all the time. They love it. They're good at it. <laughs> it's in their DNA almost, right? That's what they would do. Like Daniel writes books. He's always written blogs. Like Jake is electric on Jake F. Cohen on Twitter, right? Or football or at football or at, I think it's Daniel Wallach or, or Wallach Legal on Twitter. These guys are prolific. If you know these people like I do, they're not doing it. They, they don't be wrong. They're all smart people and they do it for some social profile and everything else, but they love it. They really like, as in they actually enjoy it. And so 
that's them being very honest about what they are. But obviously, they've put a lot of work in and they've, they're very knowledgeable as well. But people perceive that and try and copy it. But if that's not you, you just <laughs> you get unstuck really quickly and it, and it brings you down. Whereas other people can focus on, you know, doing an article, doing a research paper or focus on getting the work experience or do, you know, do that. And, and you only got a finite amount of energy. Um, and on that point, you know, it's two, two final points is be patient. These things take time. They take absolute, it takes a lot of time. And to be honest with you, and I said, if you've ever done, and I'm sure many of the people listening are doing or have done, right? Mind numbly boring jobs, stuff where you're not really treated as an individual, right? Or you're just treated as a number where you start to question, you know, what's my life about essentially? Like, why the hell am I? Like, I'm serious. Like, as in, it can be really demeaning if you're like, you know, if like, you know, I did a job where I worked in a factory when I was 15, right? And you were like not allowed to go to the toilet like apart from certain breaks, right? If you moved away from your cubicle, making car alarms for Ferraris and Porsches and stuff like that, right? It was like frowned upon. You had your clock in, clock out time. You had a card, clock in, clock out. And I'm sure many people are going through that now and many people have done it at some point, whether it's a part-time job or full-time job, right? If you've done something... uh like that, it can be really make you question. Go, man, is this what life's about? And we're very lucky where we live. Like in the in the UK, we're one of the, not the best place to live in the world. Other people around the world don't have aren't as fortunate as that, right? They've got real concerns. I was speaking to a, a fantastic, I mean, just impressive individuals in in um, I won't say which country. I don't want to give them away, but in a country that's currently in in, in war, right? And they're still thinking about sports law issues and stuff like yeah. It's still yeah. I mean, incredible, just incredible mental strength and fortitude. These people doing that. If you're lucky enough, though, to be, have the opportunity to work in the legal sector, if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to work in the sports sector, right? You're providing, you know, again, you've got you're working with, you know, in a in a in a in a, in a good organisation who's looking after you properly and everything else, and you're winning, you're absolutely winning. Even if you're not in the sports sector, you work in an organisation that treats you as an individual that, that gives you a career progression. That, that you're absolutely winning. Now it's the question of how can I maximise my opportunity. One of the best people I know, who's one of the most capable people I know. Um, I think I'm embarrassed uh, for saying that, but anyway, there's a lawyer I know. Let's say I won't, I won't mention necessarily by name. There's a lawyer who's who's um, worked in house in the financial sector. Is now working at a football club. He spent years looking for the right opportunity to get into football. Years, but he was just like he's just an incredible individual. Can really well, you know, just well balanced individual. But he didn't look at it as a negative. He volunteered, right? He gave his skill set to do various different things, right? On different committees and different that and used that experience, but was very mindful. Now he's got his dream job or one of his dream jobs. But it took a long time and he was understanding of that, right? And then I said, if you think about most sports lawyers, the people who are out in, in not in in-house roles, but others, most of them are doing between 5 to 25% really of sports work, but their work is in sport. Daniel Gee does talk about this a lot, right? If you can do a little bit, a little bit, and that was my thing, right? I was, I, I was, when I started law and sport, it wasn't, there was no money in it. That's for certain, right? I was working uh, full-time in a law firm. I did it in the evenings. I used up all my holiday for two years to go to. I didn't take, I didn't take any holiday for, for two years other than to go to sports law conferences, right? Or sports business conferences. It, I used up all my money to do it as well, right? right? But, it gave me the, so much enthusiasm and energy to kick on and do more because I was like, man, I got to, I remember meeting this guy called Matthew Pay, who's, who's a, the general counsel for ESPN Europe, being setting up a boxing club, being a boxer. He did the Mike Tyson 
Lennox Lewis fight, right? The Van, I think it was that fight, and the Van der Holyfield Lennox Lewis fights, and I mean, he was there ringside, sorting all this stuff. I was like, for me, I was blown away. When I mean blown away, you know, I was literally like a, a kid in a candy store, just going, "Oh my god!" Right? I met Caroline McGrory, who was at Mercedes Formula One team, who was a legal director there, who's no, who then went to Leicester City Football Club, and then went to Commonwealth now at Commonwealth Games, right? And again. All super lovely. Ian Lynham, who I used to work with, but uh, who's at, um, you know, uh, uh, Northridge now, and um, one of the founding partners there, or Warren Phelps, like being a massive USC fan. I was, by the way, a prime example actually of not doing this overreaching. I was basically like talking about the USC and how they might not have a greatest business model. And Warren Phelps from Canyon Gates was there, and he was going to me, cough, cough. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I don't think that's necessarily correct. I was going, no, I'm telling you, I've read up on it. I'm a fan of all knowledge, right? And having been involved in MMA a little bit and stuff like that, I felt like I was you know, in on the ground. And so I knew what was going on. He was like, uh, after 10 minutes of me waxing on about this in front of other people, he went, um, including like Richard McLaren, I think was there and some other people, like these, these heavyweights of sports law. He went, they're my client. They're actually doing really well. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And he was so nice about it. And I always say, you know, say thank you to him for being like like kind about that because I just made myself like a complete idiot. But it, you know, but having that experience, right, and going to these places and meeting these people who are actually at the cold face of 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 sport. And you experience this probably at UCFB when all the lecturers, all the you know guest lecturers come in, and you were saying to me you have some amazing people who could like come in. Yeah, yeah, you just get like starstruck, don't you? You just you're like, I can't believe that I'm even talking to them, and that's like you said, you can't even believe you're talking to them. That you just your brain goes to mush, and you can't remember an important question that you wanted to ask them. You just see just that's the thing. Well, over time, though, you just get you just enjoy it. For me, anyway, just enjoy it, right? Because you go, I'm actually more inquisitive. More, I don't care about the individual. I care about what you can know from that individual. Right, so when you get to meet a player and you actually get to find out what they think about their strategy, what they how they approach their training, how they you know an athlete or an athlete, like an athlete, Olympic athlete, like you know, what was your approach? How did you do that? And you get to find, wow, it's just such a privilege. Like, I mean, it's, it's honestly one of the best things ever. Or, like I said, in our sector, we get to deal with work and people that's intellectually stimulating. People like if you've had to do a piecemeal job like whether it's in a digital capacity or work in a factory or something like that, where you don't have to think you just a process job and you're not engaging the brain it is such a joy to be stimulated. Right. And then I say that like, if you're in the sector and the other thing to get, take for granted that in, in the sports or sector is you get to go to events where they pay for your food, they pay for your drink, right. In the nicest venues that you otherwise may not have the opportunity to go into. And a lot of people again, over assume that I, I said to someone, I was at the cast conference, I was at the Whistler Conference. I was at the um, uh, International Football Agents, so International Football Lawyers Association Conference in Switzerland, and then the Whistler Conference. And it was like these three conferences back to back last year. So we're in Lausanne, which is beautiful. I mean, you know, like it's like a Disney set, right? You've got like this massive, these massive mountains, the lake, these beautiful buildings. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. And you're there at a conference, right? You're at the Olympic Museum for Hart for the first two, and then it was. Um, uh, Michele uh, Bernasconi, who's um, uh, a top CAS arbitrator um, uh, and top sports lawyer generally, um, and he organises that conference basically with a Swiss, uh, Swiss, uh, I think it's the Swiss Arbitration Association. I think it is, or it might be the Swiss Swiss Sports Law Association. But anyway, so he's there organising all this stuff, and you're there, and you're sitting there by the river, by the lake, right? What, <laughs> looking out. 
drinking wine and having fun with people, right? And you're going, wow, okay, look, it costs money to get there, right? It costs money to do that. You understand that, but you're in the business, so it's fine. But you're still thinking to yourself, this isn't it. This is a job. This is really a job. Like, like how fortunate are me? Uh, and you know, you can get in the habit really quickly, though, going to these things. When you're a student or you're starting out, when I started out, I was like, whoa, blown away, right? You know, like, as in this is like so nice, right? And you, you don't know like what the etiquette is of who you sit next to at dinner or at lunch or what you should do. And it was all a bit stressful. As you get into it, you just realize everyone, no one really cares. Again, everyone's just cracking on doing whatever they're doing. And, you know, they, they're worried about their work. They're worried about their family or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. Or they just want to meet great people. If you can just stop and appreciate that for a minute, then you're winning, right? Like I said, if you get to connect with people and have meaningful conversations, you're winning, right? If you get to be, like, if you've got the opportunity to help, and this is the one thing I would say on this to, to, to sort of finish off this, if you can shape sport in your country, sport in your local place, right? As much as you're exciting, and don't be wrong, I care about the international development of sport. That really is my motivator, gets me really, really excited. Um, but if you can affect things locally, right, and for your country, right, your your um, or countries, if you're like dual nationality or uh, you know have multiple passports, and there's many people, that's a really interesting thing in sports. Or there's so many people who are just like multilingual, multiple nationalities. I mean, it's incredible. Just the privilege of that, right, to, to to get to meet so many people internationally. Like, I mean, that again for most people, it's just bonkers. Like for me, it's like absolutely blows my mind to get to speak to the top lawyers in Japan, the top lawyers in China, the top lawyers in America. Like just just that being where I'm from, and like many like most people, right? When you start off from a small place, you just think that that is a privilege. And if you can understand that, and you can enjoy that part of it, and really enjoy that part of it, one. If you acknowledge that it's a difficult market to get in, there's not many opportunities to get in there, right? Lots of people are are talking. Um, uh, their enthusiasm gets the better of them and they're upselling the market, they're upselling the opportunities. If you understand that only you control your environment and if you focus on focusing on things, that understanding what your weaknesses are, what can I improve on, understanding building meaningful relationships with people where you get value from interacting with people. It's not transactional. Hey, can I ask you something? Yes, you can. And then they go, that's it, it's done. You know, you're the one and done. That's not great because you don't feel part of something. And at the moment... You know, in this environment, in COVID, it's important to feel part of something. I think really, like we need it more than ever because the community is not quite the same. So be part of something, right? And so if you're contributing and coming back to the, the point before, if you're contributing, adding value, then you're, you're, you are part of something. Rather directly or indirectly, you're really contributing, right? You are part of a community. You are part of, you know, and not only that, you're going to find the other people who feel the same way and resonate with whatever you're doing. So anyway, this is the longest podcast we've ever done. Gabriella, sorry, it's a Friday night. Um, but but I, thought it, I, thought, I thought it's one of those things that has been bugging me for a while. And I just thought I wanted to put it down on a, <laughs> sounds like a wrestling move. I want to put it down. <laughs> so, but I just wanted to, um, uh, you know, go through that article, in, you know, we do webinars and stuff like that, but I just felt like it's probably a good thing just to put it in there for those people who really care about this, who really want to progress. Um, hopefully you find it useful. Um, like I said, <laughs> you know, feel free to discard most of it. Hopefully like one or two bits, <laughs> hopefully one or two bits will be useful for you. Um, and yeah, thanks for giving your perspective on this, Gabriela. Like uh, I said, I appreciate your, your, your view on this because I said you, you're envy, envy, I can't say the word. And if I could say it, 
I'm envious. Let me just phrase it that way. I'm, it sounds like of like yeah, yeah, the position you're in at the moment, right? Like I'm not there anymore, so it's hard for me to understand what it's like. Truly, I, re- I reflect back on it, but it's, it is quite hard to really understand what it's like being at the early stages of your career and like trying to undo what you now know. Yep. Yeah, I'm very privileged because I work at Law and Sport, aren't I? The right answer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't scripted, by the way. <laughs> right, on that. Um, right, so I hope you enjoyed this. Um, you know, awkward ending now. Now for awkward. I'm privileged, but uh, proud, but but awkward. But it wasn't scripted. Um, look, if you if you like this, if you think the advice is good, please share it with as many people as possible. This type of information and knowledge should not be limited to the privileged few. That's that's my personal view. That's law and sports stance. We want you to be successful. We want you to do well. We think it's important that the sports sector improves. So if you've got something to add, I keep saying it, something really truly to add and add value, do it. Right? Don't hold it back. Do it. Go out and do it. Be helpful to people, but be honest about it. Be sincere about it. Right? Be transparent. No, we're not overly transparent, obviously, but, but be honest about your um, your aspirations and where you want to get to. And trust me, there's a lot of people who want to help you. There's a lot of people out there who really do want to make a difference, and particularly in this sector, right? And you know, and it sounds very cliched as well, but be part of a positive movement, right? Don't be one of these people who go out there and again, you're just trying to like you know, give something to get something, right? don't encourage that's what led us to some of the biggest corruption scandals in sport that type of conduct we don't need it it doesn't benefit anyone right let's be honest about it let's create a sector that we're proud to be involved with that we're proud right and particularly the younger generation you know you people like you gabriel and others really have got the opportunity to do something so cool and we're seeing this already in sports organizations right now with with new people coming in with fresh ideas fresh perspectives you know a renewed sense of purpose and creating change and I say this to like, all the time about FIFA. Just look at FIFA. Look at look at look at it is. If you had said to me when five six years ago that FIFA would be where they're at now in terms of what they're doing, in terms of regulatory reforms, governance reforms, I would have said no every day of the week. It's never happening. I said you're in. A, I would have laughed in your face. Honestly, it is incredible because of the type of people that they've had go in there. You know, fresh fresh people looking at the issues of fresh not restricted by some of the uh, cultures and norms of some of the, the predecessors who were there not saying they were bad actors at all some of them were obviously but a lot of them weren't they were just restricted by what they were allowed to do but when, when they get fresh people come in they can look at problems and solve them in a different way to get a new opportunity so for a lot of the the people going into the sector that's a real opportunity to do some really cool stuff and please you know not being a, a shameless self-plug but please use materials like Law and Sport. Use other platforms that are out there, right? Do your research. Don't take what we, even what we say is granted. Be thorough, questioning everything, right? If you do that, you will acquire so much knowledge in a very short space of time, you will become, as I would say, dangerous, <laughs> right? And you want to be dangerous, right? Intellectually dangerous, right? You want to be able to challenge people and, and be inquisitive and push and, again, work out where there's new opportunities. Other than that, we're going to push this out on Friday night. We're going to get this up and out now, I think. Um, I hope you have a lovely weekend, everyone. Um, stay safe. You know, thinking of everyone. You know, it's a difficult time at the moment. You know, at this moment in time, you can't forget people who lost loved ones and others. We are thinking of you. And, um, yeah, I hope you have a great weekend. And I hope you, you know, and hopefully you know, other people listen to this post-COVID and you find it useful. If you do, please share it with people. Hopefully this was a, 
I like to think this was an optimistic podcast. <laughs> Thanks, tune in. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. But remember, for all the latest information on the developments and legal issues in sport, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, LinkedIn, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram. You know, go to lawinsport.com, subscribe to our weekly email, subscribe to the, our sports and, and legal updates. And of course, if you like what we do, please do tell people about us. Please do share this episode and others on your social platforms and with your friends and wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day.